0: The sacred inviolability of every human life stemming from creation in the image of God. The centrality of marriage and the family. History having a purpose because of a God who cares about this world. If one believes these ideas are essential, then Hitchens' own hatred of Hanukkah allows us to understand why this festival is so significant. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 191, Chagai and Hanukkah. I'm Meir Soloveitchik. The story of Hanukkah has inspired many far beyond the Jewish world. Winston Churchill placed a quote from Judah the Maccabee at the heart of one of his first speeches as prime minister. Handel gave us his composition Judas Maccabeus, and Senator Orrin Hatch composed his own celebratory Hanukkah song. At the same time, it can safely be said that even as many Jews know a great deal about Hanukkah, they can always discover something new about it. And though the events of Hanukkah took place in the middle of the Second Temple period, recent insightful writers have argued fascinatingly that a biblical book from a prophet who lived before the story unfolded allows us to more deeply appreciate what is today one of the most famous festivals of Jewish life. The book of Haggai proclaims the words of a prophet who lived at the beginning of the Second Temple period. Let us briefly summarize the historical setting, which we will study in depth when we approach the book of Ezra. The Babylonian exile officially comes to a close with the conquest of Babel by Persia and the proclamation of Cyrus, that the Jews can return and rebuild the Temple. A relatively small contingent journeys to Jerusalem, led by the Davidic descendant Zerubbabel and the high priest Yehoshua, Joshua. The altar is immediately established on the Temple Mount, and the offerings upon it begin. But the building of the Temple is halted. Ezra reports that The people of the land undermine the resolve of Judah and bribe ministers to thwart their plan to build all the years of Cyrus. This was, as it were, the first movement against the Jewish rites of Jerusalem, and it began in Cyrus's empire thousands of years ago. Thus, there is an altar but no sanctuary atop the Temple Mount for some years, and it is only sometime after Cyrus, during the reign of Darius or Daryavesh, that the prophet Haggai succeeds in urging the Jews of Jerusalem to begin building the temple itself. I cite the Koran Jerusalem translation of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Daryavish the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shaltiel, governor of Yehudah, and to Joshua the son of Yehotzadok the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your well timbered houses, whilst this house lies waste? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies waste and every one of you runs to his own house. God, in other words, is saying, why are you only focused on building Jerusalem with homes for yourselves, while my home is still in ruins? Then in chapter 2, verse 18, Haggai declares that the building of the temple is about to begin. He says, but now consider from this day onwards, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Note, ladies and gentlemen, the date, 24 of the ninth month. The ninth month is today called Kislev. However, Haggai also implies that the building is about to begin, not on this day, but immediately after. Thus, he asked Israel to hearken to his words, saying, And now I pray you consider from this day onwards before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Which means that the construction was yet to start, and therefore, according to rabbis Yoel bin Nun and Menachem Liebtag, Haggai can be read as saying that 25 kislev was the day when the building of the Second Temple began. To this, Rabbi Leipteg adds a fascinating point. Quote, Anyone who is familiar with the weather in Israel knows that late Kislev is no time to start a building project. It's too cold and rainy. Why allow the wood to become damp, see Haggai eight, And why work in muddy and cold conditions? It would have made much more sense to continue gathering the material, but wait until the spring to begin the actual construction. Instead, he continues, it appears that Haggai intentionally wanted to break ground during this darkest time of the year. Most likely the heavy construction only began in the spring, yet Chagai wanted to do something symbolic that would lift the people's spirits at this significant time of the year. He intentionally chose the last week of Kislev because it was the darkest time of the year. End quote. All this means that 25 Kislev would have lived in Jewish memory during the Second Temple period. And it is only with this in mind that we can approach and understand more profoundly the story of Hanukkah, a story that is celebrated to this day beginning on the 25th of Kislev. Let us briefly review the historical background, which I discuss at length in my Sacred Time series. The portion of Alexander the Great's empire that included Judea was ruled by the Seleucid dynasty. It was in the 170s BCE that Antiochus III was succeeded by his son Antiochus IV, known as Antiochus Epiphanes. A passionate apostle of Hellenistic culture, Antiochus encountered an enthusiastic embrace for many Jews. One of them was a Kohen, a priest of the temple named Yeshua. Yeshua adopted the Greek name Jason, and through bribery convinced Antiochus to install him to the high priesthood. Jason proceeded to incorporate Greek culture into Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Jason proved insufficiently pagan for some Athenian enthusiasts, and another Jew by the name of Menelaus, who may not have descended from a priestly family at all, convinced Antiochus to install him instead as the high priest, and the paganization of Jerusalem continued apace. Then, when Antiochus waged war with Egypt and it was rumored that he had died in battle, Jason mustered forces to overthrow Menelaus, but Antiochus was very much alive. He sent his general Apollonius to reinstall Menelaus and enforce laws that made the pagan lifestyle mandatory. This new order was embraced by many Jews, those known as Mityavnim, Jews that took on a Greek identity. Thus, Maccabees recounts about these Jews that, quote, they sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices, and drink offerings in the sanctuary to profane Sabbaths and feasts, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. End quote. The Levitical service in the temple was replaced with pagan ritual. It was around this moment that a rebellion broke out in the town of Modiin, led by a priestly patriarch named Mattathias, whose family bore the name Hashmonai, Hasmonean. And when we study the ultimate victory of the Hasmoneans in the book of Maccabees, we notice something amazing. Here is the description from the book of Maccabees of what occurred following the capture of the temple. Then Judah and his brothers said, see our enemies are crushed, let us go to cleanse the sanctuary and dedicate it. So all the army assembled and went up to Mount Zion. There they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profaned, and the gates burned. In the courts they saw bushes sprung up as in a thicket or as on one of the mountains. They also saw the chambers of the priests in ruins. Then they tore their clothes and mourned with great lamentation. They sprinkled themselves with ashes and fell face down on the ground. And when the signal was given with the trumpets, they cried out to heaven. Then Judas detailed men to fight against those in the citadel until he had cleansed the sanctuary. He chose blameless priests devoted to the law, and they cleansed the sanctuary and removed the defiled stones to an unclean place. They deliberated what to do about the altar of burnt offerings, which had been profaned. And they thought it best to tear it down so that it would not be a lasting shame to them that the Gentiles had defiled it. So they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until a prophet should come to tell what to do with them. Then they took unhewn stones, as the law directs, and built a new altar like the former one. They also rebuilt the sanctuary and the interior of the temple and consecrated the courts. They made new holy vessels and brought the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. Then they offered incense on the altar and lit the lamps on the lampstand, and these gave light in the temple. They placed the bread on the table and hung up the curtains. Then they finished all the work they had undertaken. Early in the morning, on the 25th day of the ninth month, which is called Kislev, in the one hundred forty-eighth year. They rose and offered sacrifice as the law directs on the new altar of burnt offering that they had built. At the very season and on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it, it was dedicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. End quote. What we learn from this is that the Jewish Hellenists, along with their Gentile allies, chose the 25th day of Kislev to profane the temple, perhaps because it was known from Haggai that this was a special day in Jewish history and in the history of the temple. As Azarei Liebtag writes, quote, Apparently the Hellenists selected the 25th of Kislev intentionally. The choice of this day most likely was not just coincidental. One could suggest that the Hellenists chose this date specifically Lahachis, despite being aware of its religious significance. End quote. Meaning, because Chagai informs us of how important this date was for the building and sustaining of the Jewish temple, it was chosen by Hellenists specifically as a date on which to profane the temple. We see as well from the Book of Maccabees that Judah and Hasmoneans chose the 25th day of Kislev to inaugurate the new altar and to celebrate the restoration of monotheistic service in the temple. And this, as Liebtag Lieb, Tag, and Bin Nun argue, was itself not only a response to the Hellenistic profanation, but also an event inspired by Haggai himself. Rightly understood then, Hanukkah was first and foremost a commemoration of the triumph of monotheism over paganism, inspired by Haggai's words, an event that rightly understood was one of the tipping points in the history of the world. The writer Christopher Hitchens, a hater of Judaism, complained once in an article in Slate that he wished that Jews had lost the battle for Jerusalem in the Hanukkah story so that Hellenism could have triumphed over biblical faith. But if one disagrees with Hitchens, as I do, if one believes that one needs Jerusalem and not only Athens. If one believes that the Jewish moral vision is what gave the world ideas unknown to Athens, the sacred inviolability of every human life stemming from creation in the image of God, the centrality of marriage and the family, history having a purpose because of a God who cares about this world, if one believes these ideas are essential, then Hitchens' own hatred of Hanukkah allows us to understand why this festival is so significant and why it is not only Jews that can ultimately celebrate the impact of but Hanukkah we can now understand, is also a day for reinforcing the Jewish connection with the Temple and the Temple Mount. And if that Jewish connection to the Temple Mount is denied and cut off, then this fact must continue to be a source of pain. Reading Chagai today and the other prophets that we will see from the early Second Temple period can surely inspire us. The reflections of Rabbis Ben-Nun and lieb reflect the explosion of Tanakh study in the land of Israel today, and how living in the land has led to extraordinary new scriptural insights. Rabbi Ben-Nun himself reflects that, quote, It is amazing that the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah, which were clear and relevant in the eyes of the Hasmoneans, disappeared from the consciousness of later generations. End quote. The good news is that the Jewish return to the Holy Land has made the prophets come to life and exposed, even more profoundly, their eternal relevance to all of us. That itself is another miracle worth celebrating. One, which I hope has made our own study together all the more meaningful. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.